Welcome to Hit It, the Water Skier Magazine podcast, presented by USA Water Ski and Wake Sports, where we catch up each month with current stars, rising stars, and legends from the past from USA Water Ski and Wake Sports and its nine sport discipline. This episode is brought to you by Visit Central Florida, the water ski capital of the world. I'm your host, Tyler Boyd. Welcome back, everyone, to the Hit It Podcast. I have an incredible episode here for you today as I am joined in the virtual studio with Jack and John Travers to talk about water skiing. Specifically, we talk about the World Tournament. Of course, the Travers family is synonymous with water skiing, so it is only fitting that on their 50th anniversary of Sunset Lakes that the World Tournament returns to Travers Ski School for the second time in a two-year period, going back-to-back. Jack Travers has operated the ski school in Groveland, Florida since 1973, developing Sunset Lakes into a world-renowned water skiing center. Also, Jack has served many times as a U.S. team coach, and we get his perspective on what Team USA and their coaches are likely thinking going into the event this year. We also catch up with John, the former Masters champ, and we ask him how he's able to maintain such an elite level of skiing while doing everything else at the lake, from technical controlling to getting docs ready for an event. John seems always ready to compete and help around the lake. You're not going to want to miss this episode. It was super special to sit down and speak with Jack and John Travers as they prepare to host the World Tournament once again. So sit back and relax and enjoy this episode of the Hit It Podcast. Well, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Hit It Podcast. I am stoked about the show today i've got jack and john travers from travers ski school in the virtual studio today and guys i really want to break down the world tournament but before we get to all of that how's everything been going with the ski school no it's been good we had a little bit of a hiccup when uh covid hit us because we lost a lot of our uh, oriental and and foreign uh clientele but uh ever since it's uh, gone away it's been back to normal very good, very good. John, I know, you know, and we're going to touch a lot about this in, in this conversation as you guys gear up for the World Tournament, but you yourself not only taking care of the site, but also competing as an athlete all around the world. I know that you were in Europe, hit some stats over there on the Water Ski Pro Tour at this point in the season, because I know it's been a long season. How are you holding up? Yeah, I'm, I'm holding up the best I've ever had, actually, coming into this part of the year um 2021 it was a really hard year to get ready for the world it's just for the fact that we did a lot of rebuilding on the property docks and so forth and it kind of beat me up but this year we spent four weeks in europe did five events everything went pretty well over there i didn't ski as well as i wanted but came home and started training pretty hard and i feel pretty good sounds good sounds good well you know it's that special time of the year, I guess, because every every two years we get to the World Championships. Jack, I know that you've been part of the World Championships for a long, long time, coaching uh, athletes such as Sammy Duvall. We've had him on the podcast, and we talked about training regiments on how he would gear up and cycle up for these big tournaments. Obviously, there's the physical side of that, but there's also the mental side for an athlete. I would imagine, since this being on your home site, you know, probably a lot of your athletes are familiar with the site that they're going to be skiing on 
How do you get your athletes ready for a world tournament? Well, you got to make sure that they're mentally prepared. You know, they can they have a tendency to overtrain, as um, most of our water skiers do. So you've got to make sure that they uh, train to a peak and they take the proper amount of time off. Um, you know, maybe maybe one day on, two days off, two days on, one day off. You just it it all depends on how they're skiing. If you're skiing well, you don't want to ski so much. If you're not skiing so well, you got to get your get your act back together. So it's a matter of um, what's happening at the time. And John, you know, you talked about it. You know, the first time you guys hosted Worlds, roughly two years ago, uh, there was a lot of preparation to the site. Docks needed to be reworked and all that stuff. I would assume a lot of that stuff's probably still in place. Not to say that there's not a lot a heavy load ahead of you, but going into this tournament. Are you doing anything different that you, you know, you look back on and go, man, I wish I would have done that. Maybe I'll change that in the way I'm training. No, honestly, like the world's in 21. I, I peaked at the right time coming into the prelims running the three or the two to qualify me into a runoff to go into the final and running three and a half in the runoff. Um, I was really excited about that and really happy how I skied. What I'm not too happy about the world's when I was here last was the finals, how I prepared myself for the final. But you can't think about the final until you made the final. So I'm kind of thinking the same thing I thought um, all the way up until the prelims are done. And then if I make the finals, then that's when I'll try to change my mental side for the finals. But other than that, I'm, I have a trainer two days a week. I'm going as hard as I can and out here working on the facilities as much as I can. And, you know, I feel great. I feel strong. And I'm excited to have the world's back at home. Yeah, and I'm trying to recall on that particular final. Did you end up in a runoff? Was that correct? In the prelim, I did. Prelim. Yeah, yeah. In the prelims, I did. And um, in the finals, I took some big hits in the prelims. Um, and I started at twelve thirty-five off. I know the site better probably than anyone in the world, and I know that I wanted to take my forty-one from the far end of my lake and. Unfortunately, I didn't make it there. So that's a little bit of the head game that you got to play around with. You know, you got to be positive. You got to, I don't know. I, I think I was just a little nervous and I was really sore. I was really beat up. Yeah. I didn't yeah. realize how beat up I actually was. So that would be a good thing to know this year is going into it and maybe not have so much adrenaline somehow, you know. Well, so and, and, the, and, and the interesting thing about that, John, I mean, the cutoff was so high. I mean, the slalom was just crazy. I mean, I remember, and I think Dane was in a runoff at that time in the competition where he went ran 41, obviously Nate's performance. And you're starting to look at where these athletes are currently, you know, Freddie Winter skiing really well, a lot of athletes skiing really, really well. Is there kind of a bubble mark that you have spotted out of where you think the cutoff is going to be for the finals? Yeah, definitely. Like last weekend in the California program or two weekends ago, I ran a three at 41 and I didn't make the final. Mm. Worlds, that's an eight man final. Worlds is a 12 man final. The goal is to get to three ball. I believe if you can get to three at 41, you have a very good chance to see yourself in the final. Do I think three is guaranteed? No. After the Grand Prix last year in 2022, where I ran four at 41 and didn't make a final. Or sorry, I didn't make the podium. That's it. This lake skiing really well. The boats are amazing. It's just you got to ski to the, the 
best you can possibly ski it. Every time you're on the water at the Worlds or at the Grand Prix in a few weeks, you're it's going to be a big scores. Awesome, awesome. Well, I know everybody's pumped up to see it. They, they saw the scores from two years ago, and if, if if the conditions hold up, I would imagine it's even going to be above and beyond what we've seen. Jack, what did it mean two years ago? I mean, it, your site is one of those sites, like if you're in the water skiing world, it seems like someone has, you've been there at some point in your career, you know, whether you've been in the ski school or a tournament or just swinging by to see what's going on at the site. What did it mean to you personally to have the world tournament come to your site? Well, it's not the first world tournament we did. Oh, really? It's first, no, it's the first elite world tournament. We've done okay. the, we've done the uh, disabled worlds, uh, the over 35 worlds, under 17, yeah, junior worlds. Uh, but to, to do the elite, it, it was a big, uh, it was a big task we, we uh, decided we'd take up. And uh, it, it turned out really well. I mean, I was so proud of the fact that you know, every event turned out record-breaking scores. Yeah, no, and, and I look back at those, and and like we were just talking about in the slalom, it's just going to be unreal. And I, I think jump definitely, it's right there to have the the same potential of of some monster scores uh, going into the competition. John, as it relates to this year, just looking at the host of tournaments that have been on the schedule. I mean, for you know, some of these athletes, they started at Moomba in March and that have tried to hold up all year through all the pro tour stops and that are eventually going to find themselves at the one they probably had an asterisk next to the, the whole season long, which was the world tournament. Do you start to get a feel for where the competition's at as far as how they're holding up at this time of year? Yes, just because you see them almost every weekend. You know, you see the guys that have the KT tape. You see the guys that are doing extra warm-ups you know doing their foam rollers or whatever they're doing before they ski which they normally wouldn't do or you just see the injuries you know and um there's not many athletes out there that don't have some kind of off water routine yeah there are some but 90 percent of us have someone that we're going to go see if it's a massage therapist or if it's a pt physical therapist or someone that they're going to a chiropractor, whatever. And those guys right now, they're all slammed. My trainer, she trains a lot of skiers and I go there at the times and when I'm leaving, there's another skier walking in the door right behind me. So they're, all the athletes are on full focus right now on their body as much as they are on the water as off the water, just because they know that the stress coming into the two, three weeks before Worlds and especially at the Worlds, puts so much stress on your body that just that alone, without the skiing, makes you sore. Yeah. So it's, and it's hot right now in Florida. Everyone's here training, and it's 95 to 100, feels like 110, humid. That just drains your body, so hydration's a big thing. And, you know, when we were in Europe, it's hot over there. And there's not as much AC as we have in the U.S. <laughs> and, you know, we saw it a lot in Europe and seeing people starting to fatigue and kind of happened to myself. You're at the lake. I was with some girls I was coaching and you have to get there for them in the morning. But then by the time you ski, it's two o'clock and it's hot and there's no place to get out of the sun. Really, no, you can go sit in your car kind of thing is the only kind of AC you get. And it's pretty important to be keep your body temperature cool, keep liquids in your system. And yeah, I think. 
at our level as a pro skier, 99% of the athletes out there are doing that, you know? And yeah, there's some that are getting beat up here and there. And there's some, it's a sport. You're going to see people get a little beat up and, but yeah, I think majority everyone's, I don't know too many people in the slalom world that are really, really hurting that I would say, Oh man, that guy might not, might not make it. You know, I think it's, they're looking pretty good this year. They're looking pretty good. They're holding up good. Yeah. Too good, <laughs> and, and you know that's that's one of the things we we touched on this in our last episode with Allie Nicholson, and and it's one of these things where us as the spectator being out in the audience because of what Tony Lightfoot's been able to do with a lot of the broadcasting, we're a, a little bit more in tune to how the season's actually progressing. Of course, social media also helps with that. We have the standings, we see the the instant replays. I mean, it's it's just like a click away now, and so I think. Yeah, there is that expectation now. I think that everybody, it's going to be a really, really good world tournament. Hopefully everybody holds up and they can train to their peak and the scores will be just phenomenal. Jack, you know, I I was looking at some of the clips of the last world tournament and it's not every day that you have a lot of legends come back to the sport to a uh, a venue, but a lot of them did uh, to come watch on the shoreline because of a lot of them, you know, in Orlando or in, in Florida somewhere. What did it mean to you to have a lot of the skiers you probably coach return to your site to watch the tournament? Well, it meant a lot. You know, just a lot of work went into this. Uh, it's been a been a long journey, but uh, topping that off this year, it's our 50th anniversary, and we're having a big celebration on, on Wednesday night, and we're probably going to have three or 400 of our form, former skiers attending. Be wow. Tough to, be tough to recognize some of them and, and whatnot. <laughs> They'll be here, and it's going to be a fun time. Wow, 50 years. John, when you you reflect back about this, and I know you've done a ton of interviews, and Marcus Brown's done some really good interviews with you and you know, talking about the history of the ski school, but what does that mean to you to be able to not only ski but host at your home site on a 50-year reunion? Pretty special. My dad came to me, I don't know, when was that when he came to me and asked me? He came to me at some point in 22 and said, Hey, Paul Fong and IWSF asked us to host it again, but it's up to you. You know, mm. you're the athlete in the family. You're the one that sets up the, the site for the tournament as in the TC side. And I said, hell yes. That was my first world words because of the, the fact that I don't have to travel. I like spending time at home and making our site better. And if I have to travel, we can't do that. And then the motivation to, have a deadline that the site has to be perfect at makes us all work smoother, better, faster. And I just think having the world's at home puts a hell of a lot more pressure on me. A little story from the 21 world prelims. I'm sitting on the dock about to ski and I have my ski under my feet, just floating upside down. I'm sitting with my feet in the water on the edge of the dock. And I look out and I just see like cars. They don't end. They're just parked around the whole lake. And I was like, okay, every car probably has two people and everyone thinks I have to perform at home. I, and I, I froze. I didn't know what to do. Started crying, shaking, whatever. And Lori Kruger walked up with our team coach and just pat me on the shoulder and goes, you got this. What do you need? Like, can I help you with anything? And I'm like, you did it right there. Got my mind off of something else and moved on. And, you know, it's just, I want it here. And people are telling me they want it here every year, every two years. I don't know about that, but. I do know that it's more fun when it's at home for me. 
So it's cool. Sure. Well, it's interesting too, from an athlete's perspective, we've seen athletes go into coaching. We've seen athletes go into the ski school world. And a lot of times their performances fall off just because of the sheer work. Somehow, some way you have been able to craft this formula where it's not like you've been doing this one or two years now. You're consistently doing this over, I would say, easily a decade of, of skiing at a very, very high level, but also being a host. Also doing one of the hardest jobs there is to do at the lake, which is being a technical controller. I mean, anybody that wants the hardest job at the lake, go go find you guys and, and you're there, whatever it takes, five days before the tournament starts and five days after unpacking it, not to mention everything that happens during the tournament of getting up early and staying late. When you look at that, because to me, it just it I see you every year at the Masters, you're floating out the ramp, you're you're changing directions. And then I'm like, man, this guy just he's going to ski in the, the next event tomorrow. I don't know how he does it. Do you even think about it anymore? Or is it something that like that's the way you enjoy the sport now is working in skiing? Yeah, that's a good question, Tyler. Um, I think it's something that I just grew up with. You know, every day, family business, you got to you're not working it's not moving forward i think my parents did an excellent job on that just to motivate you and to keep you driving and i never really skied before i worked i always would work until about lunch and then ski at lunch and then work in the afternoon and i think over the years it taught me how to ski maybe a little bit fatigued or a little bit tired or have my mind on something else that's not going as well as i want off the water so then that kind of helps me when it comes to tournament stuff because I have it every day. It's like when I'm setting up a site, for example, like the Masters, and we have to go up there and put a new song course in and everything. My mind's thinking weeks before I have to go do that of how I'm going to do get it done and writing notes and figuring it out. And I'm training through all that and getting everything prepped. And it's just something I think I just grew up with. You know, it's not something that I had to learn overnight. It was something sure. that I just had. You know, sure. as parenting skills, you know. Right. I'm trying to learn right now from my son. <laughs> <laughs> go to, go down another generation. Just keep it going. Yeah. Uh, Jack, when you when you look at what John's been able to do as a coach, as an athlete, as a technical controller, as however many hats he's wearing on a particular weekend, I mean, you've got to be incredibly proud. Yeah, it's uh, I couldn't be any proud of it. Of, of anything really it's uh you know yeah working here trying to get ready for the tournament he's the first one here every morning he's the last one to leave they were installing a jump last night at eight o'clock at night um, it's I, like i say i couldn't be any prouder of, of what he's done skiing and and what he is as a man too that's excellent john i was going to ask you about that too because you have all this stuff going on and then i know uh in recent years and and I don't know if this is so much in the off season as it is in the on season, but you were installing courses in other lakes across the country, across the world, putting in ramps. Is that still going on kind of as a side business? Yeah, totally. Totally. I have two guys that I work with very closely, Zach Warren and Will Asher, and they're both certified in diving. We have full face mask, full, com full communication. So I can be on land and they can be underwater and I can communicate with them. We can put courses into 50 feet deep, really single anchored courses. And we've been all over the world. I've taken Will over the United States and in Canada doing it. Zach and I have been to Colombia, 
Ukraine, parts of Europe, installing new courses. People would ship jumps. They'll buy a beam and jump, and then they'll ship it to wherever it is, and then they'll fly us over there to install it for them. So it's it's a really cool job just because a lake to me is empty until you put a slalom course or a jump on it. You know, it doesn't look right. And my goal is to have every single lake in the world have a slalom course, which is impossible, obviously. But the more lakes I can do, the better our sport can grow. And so if anyone ever needs a course, hit me up. It's fun. <laughs> It's um, it's a little side gig we have going, and you know it's. I've never put a course in that's not record, so I'm pretty stoked on that. Very very cool. Here here's a question. You know, was you go back to the last world you had? You went through the tournament. I'm sure by the end of the tournament there was a big you know sigh of relief, like we made it. You know, it, it, I I skied okay, which I could have skied better. Uh, but overall, everybody was ecstatic about the scores and everything that had happened. Was there like a couple weeks where you had to like debrief or just take a deep breath before you could think about what the next thing was in store? I believe we had Mount Miami Pro yeah. just a week or two after. <laughs> so no, like I could be wrong on that, but I believe we did have the Miami Pro Slalom event within i would say 15 or two weeks or something like that of the end of the world no because it's we do so many events it's just another event you know yeah there's a lot more overhead i would say you got to put banners up you know more tents more venues or like all the food trucks and organizing parking there's a lot more stuff there's a lot more people but on the water stuff it's the same thing as a record tournament you know, it's just a heck of a lot bigger, with yeah. a lot more skiers. Yeah, more on you. yeah, more eyes on you. But like this year, the tournament ends on Sunday. Tuesday morning, I'm flying to Chile to the Pan Am Games to be the homologator down there. Wow. So it's like I said, I just want to be busy. I think my mind doesn't like to stop, and when I stop, I I don't know, I lose energy and my motivation goes down. So I just try to keep it going and. Yeah, it's just fun. That's that's awesome. Business as usual. John, you mentioned Lori Kruger as being the team coach the last time around. Jack, you've been a many-time U.S. team coach. Um, obviously, in that situation, Lori had the right words for you, John, to kind of distract your mind and, and put your focus somewhere else. Jack, being in that particular situation as a team coach, talk to us about that a little bit. Uh, what does that mean to you personally? And what are you looking to do for your athletes when the actual tournament's going on? Basically, it's just the same thing that Lori did. You can't really change uh, anybody's technique when they when you, all of a sudden you're you're with them on on a tournament. You know they have their own personal coaches that have, have trained them in the past. So you don't want to try to uh, reinvent the wheel, so to speak, when, when you know, you've got these elite athletes that you're that are under your wing. So basically, you've just got to try to keep them. You psych up, and if they're in a situation where it's a nerve condition, Lori did the exact same thing I would have tried to do. You got to keep them calm, and um, and they have they they have faith in you. I mean, if if they didn't have faith and trust in what you're doing, you wouldn't be in that position. Yeah, it's interesting. It it was interesting, Jack. We were talking to Sammy Duvall, um, like I said, a couple years back on this podcast, and there's the famous picture of him turning for the jump that I have no idea how he even made it to the jump I mean, it is, <laughs> you know it's just like did 
could that really happen? Uh, you almost need to see it in video to, 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 to confirm it. But I think what the, the world tournament brings, like no other tournament, is because it's the anticipation of two years, the nerves go to an all-time high. And sometimes when the nerves go to an all-time high, people get stressed. Other team members or, or maybe, maybe your competition and their team get stressed. And sometimes emotion runs high. He was telling us a, a couple of stories on that podcast where it got pretty intense and pretty aggressive at the dock. Um, you know, where judges had to get involved and those, those types of things. Has anything changed from that period of time in the sport and how the treatment of athletes was and maybe the competition to the modern day? Or is it still very tense, kind of I'm looking over there to see what's going on and I, I may intervene, uh, so to speak, if I don't like what I'm seeing or get the judges involved? I think um, the athletes have shown each other more respect in the last 10, 15 years. Uh, it was it was quite a personal experience at, on the dock at, at Thor Park at that time. Uh, even Camille had to step in and um, try to hold some people back. But I think that the, the athletes nowadays respect each other a bit more and um, that the parents tend to stay back and let the, let the, uh, the grown-up athletes do their thing. Sure. And John, you know about that. I mean, it's it's like, again, going back to watching you guys ski on the Pro Tour this this summer. I mean, you're seeing these guys each and every week and you have kind of this very unique position where a lot of people are coming to your site to train. So these are not just, you know, may, yeah, it is my competition, but it's a maybe more of a friend friendly rivalry. Uh, can you speak to that just about the camaraderie on the tour and the people that you ski against? Yeah, there is some people that you're like, well, they're intense, you know, for sure. But they're they're not trying to hurt others. They're just in their little tunnel doing their own thing. And, you know, going to the Pro Tour and going to all those tournaments in Europe, you see it and the people that you see on the first weekend, the stuff that you're like, oh, that's a bit much. They're still doing it on the next weekend. And by the fourth weekend, they're still in it, you know, doing their same thing. And that's when you learn that. I don't, you believe that they're not trying to hurt anyone. They're just in their vision and doing what they know it works for them. Um, I've never had anyone come and try physically to hurt me or get me out of my zone or do it, anything crazy on the dock. I've seen some stuff over the years that I'm like, whoa, that's a bit more than just competition. That's personal. Um, but it's very rare. And I'm sure you'll see that in every single sport around the world. But yeah, I, I think that, like my dad said, it's just, I remembered stories of like Sammy and Wade and Carl and those guys back in, back in the day with Hazelwood. And, and I don't see that today in today's world as much as I remember hearing about it, about their scenarios. And it might just because, it was the pro tour back in the eighties was a lot different than the pro tour today. Their TV, you know, there was probably a bit more money. They took everything a little bit more personal because it was like national TV kind of thing. You know, they they wanted to do well and whatever it could take to make them do better than the competitor, they were going to do it. So yeah, that's, yeah. yeah I think it, the people I train with, I have Will Asher, Jamie Bull, um, Rob Hazelwood, 
those three are on the dock when I'm skiing and I'm on the dock when they're skiing. You know, I think Will would punch someone in the face if they try to mess with me, really. You know, same thing with Jamie and Rob. It's like a little family. We travel together every tournament we're about to get. We have Mastercraft Pro this weekend. Next weekend, we go to Malibu and we're all getting in a truck together and driving up to Alabama together. You know, it's a team. It's a true team with HO. And um, I've been with HO since I think 2010. And the last three years has been something very unique. And we have Allie Nicholson as well. She skis out here quite a bit. And um, Chris Parrish. And we're just a big, basically a big family. And it's really cool to have the support from your competitor. Like if I needed to go protest something, Will's already on it before I'm ready to go protest, you know, or Rob. Already, Rob's got his phone out watching the, the webcast, reviewing it for whoever, whatever teammate needs it. And if we need it, we got the money, we're going to the judges, you know, and it doesn't gotcha. matter who's going, you know, but it's just very cool. There's, I don't think there's many companies out there that have that family like competition in them. And I think between Will and myself and having us getting really close and then having Jamie and Rob being a bit younger and Ali being a little bit younger under our wing kind of thing has really been a really cool story, actually, that we can talk about in the years to come. Sure. You know, Team Syndicate is one of those really special things to watch. I mean, HO does such a good job with their production and bringing basically the athletes to life with their biography and their video and things like that. You know, what's interesting about the Pro Tour now that I really appreciate is they have the leaderboard for what ski brands are out there. So we're, cool. I was telling Allie, we're, we're trying to see how this is all going to shape up. But I, the last time I checked, I think Team Syndicate's number one trying to finish out this the, the season. Um, and, and I think that, you know, for a long time, there has been a discussion about, well, maybe water skiing needs to take the direction of collegiate skiing with more of a team type of atmosphere. And I think there's there, there's some there's some good points to be made there. But I think this there's something going on with this brand team, right? The brand team is pretty new to me as far as something that's really been an interest of the sport. But as we start to watch it and we start to watch the competition and the consistency of who's on what brand. And like you're saying, if if, if Rob's over there or Will's over there and they're ready to protest because they saw this on a video, that brings a whole new element to the team you're skiing with and the brand that you're skiing with as far as the camaraderie of who's on the tour. So I was just interested to know, you know, when you saw that there was going to be a leaderboard and team syndicates, number one, um, as an athlete and as a team member of HO, what did that mean to you guys? Yeah, there's only three athletes on that out of our team, and that's Will, Jamie, and Allie. And I'm super stoked for them. You know, it's, it's, I still put myself on it. You know, I want to go out there and prove that I, I can still ski well enough to be on that little pro tour team of theirs or whatever that's called. But, you know, those three athletes are on the top every weekend, you know, and they're they're killing it. And to be part of it, it's just cool. It's really cool to be just seeing them every weekend. And not much talking that goes around with it. You know, it's just at the end of the weekend, we get done with the tournament and we cheers a beer or whatever. And we're like, you guys are back on top again, you know, congrats, you know, and kind of heard a little story that I don't think they can lose, even if they don't show up at a tournament. I don't think. HO can lose this year. We are okay. I think I could be wrong, but I believe that's what the story I've heard. So it's like 
that proves to the industry that team syndicate is powerful. Yeah, no doubt. The new skis that we came out, everyone's riding the current model ski. Everyone's on the current stuff. And it's just very cool to see skis that are working out of a box. Absolutely. At this level and at a level 20 minutes ago, before we got in this phone call, there was a guy that skis at 32 miles an hour and loved, he got on a new O2 and loved it, you know? And it's just cool that that same size ski is the same size ski Chris Parrish is riding on an O2. And it's the same exact ski and it works for 32 miles an hour or it works for Chris Parrish running 41, you know? So it's, it's very cool to see the product work from very high to very low. And it's very hard to build something that works on all levels. Normally you get a high end ski. That's not going to work that great. at longer ropes or slower speeds or vice versa. And I think we're getting pretty close to having the ski that we're pretty stoked with for anyone that's shortened the rope a little bit. It doesn't matter what speed you want. It's going to work pretty damn well for you. So. Yeah. And how, and how helpful that is in the, the world we live in where everything's so fast paced to be able to take something out of a box and jump on the water and be like, you know, I don't need to sit there for two weeks and make a fin adjustment. Although that can be helpful it to to have the level of consistency and manufacturing where everybody's on the new product, everybody's going to the world's on the new product really says something. Yeah, totally. Like over the last well, 10 years or so being with the same company, it's, we've had struggles like every brand, every, every sport is we come out with a new product. One person loves it. The next guy's like, I don't know. I'm going to try to maybe my old skis better still, you know, they're, they're, it's not the skis not better. It's just, they're more used to something. And now everyone's getting on the new product. If it's bindings or if it's skis or even the ropes and vest, everything is just coming to a level where it's like, wow, good job team. You know, yeah. That's awesome. Hard work pays off. You know, it's it's been a crazy last few years with developing, and it's hard when I know all the ski brands are like this, but it's hard when the company is out west and we're in Florida and we're flying back and forth trying to communicate, trying to figure out exactly what we want. And we mock up a ski here in Florida and then we we fly it out west and we get one, we get it scanned and we get it drawn up and then we get it built and then we test it. And it's just been a process and it's a process that is very cool to see start hitting a level where we really haven't seen before. And the team, man, when you, you got Will Asher, Ben, Benny Stadovar, Dave Wingier, Chris Parrish, myself, Rob Hazelwood, Jamie Bull, Ali, man, that's like half the pro tour. It seems like, you know, <laughs> so it's like so cool to like have the, some of the best athletes in the world being your best friend, you know, and wanting you to ski better every day as much as you want to ski better every day. So it's really sure. cool. Well, thanks for sharing that insight about the team. That that's, that's so cool to know that that's all going on in the background. And that's going to uh, mean a lot more next time we flip on the broadcast and we see you guys right. out there skiing, just to know exactly what could be going on on and off the water to make the team better. Jack, 50 years, you reflect on the point where you're at now. I mean, it's really been the American dream. Um, from what I understand, showing up, how do we acquire the land? How do we build the lakes? You've done everything from run a ski school. There's been some housing developments on the property, uh, the world tournament, multiple world tournaments. Um, I mean, you, you've done everything there is to do, it seems, 
but is there anything going into the future that you would like to see further with what you guys have done at Traverse Key School? No, just kind of hoping that uh, what we've done, we can pass on to our boys and they can uh, make it even better. I don't know how, but um, you know, there's a lot to be done. It's, it's never over, um, but I think that uh, there's a good basis for them. And if they want to take it over and make it better, good luck to them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and John, I know you work with your brother, Chris, and your roles are different at the ski school, but you know, it's kind of like you, you play into your strengths. Uh, tell us a little bit about what Chris is up to and what he's doing at the ski school. Yeah. Chris is kind of a, kind of the same as me. He's kind of does a little bit of everything, you know, today he's on a mower, you know, he's mowing. We have 120 acres, I believe out here and 27 lots that my dad and my mom developed. And, um, Three man-made lakes, so it's a lot of three song courses, three jump courses, you know. So it's a lot of a lot of maintenance. And Chris is, if someone's on the dock, Chris is probably in the boat, you know. And if there's no one, like today we're pretty quiet with the Mastercraft Pro coming up. Everyone's kind of taking off. Tomorrow the tournament starts, so today everyone's taking off. But yesterday we were, he was probably in the boat 10 hours, you wow. know. So... He does a little bit of everything, and he's our web guy. He does the internet stuff for us. He does he does tons of stuff, man. Without without a team, we're nothing. You know, there's not one person in the family that can do everything. You know, I can't go in there and do my mom's job. No way. You know, yeah. bookkeeping and all that, and I can't do the internet stuff like Chris does. You know, and my dad and I just try to keep everything running. You know, keep the lakes going, keep the jumps intact keep the courses as good as we can. Um, we just rebuilt some docks, making everything even better for since the last world. So I'm getting a little bit smarter though. I'm trying to pass the torch on to like you know, some other, hiring some people to do some work for me. Um, but, you know, it's just a big team effort. I think if you looked at any family business and the, and the kids are involved, it's the same kind of thing. You know, it's, we have no employees. So it's the four of us and my wife, Natalia, that, you know, if you want to trick or jump, you know, she's one of them, you know, she's really good at it. And she's in the boat forever coaching Dorian, Louie, so many other people. And it's just cool to see the family just really having fun what we're doing. And just every day, it's just a new project. It's fun to, it's not your normal job where you go to work every day and you have the same job. Yesterday, I got to put a new jump in the water that we've been working on for the last few months. Today, I'm working on something completely different than a jump. So it's a lot. It's just fun to me. If it was every day the same thing, I would kind of get burnt out. And I don't feel like I get burnt out when I'm changing stuff every day. But so that's, and I think that's to every single person in our family. My mom, oh, and my mom gets stressed out and kind of burnt out being in the office every day. And today, she's gardening and having fun outside. So it's just understanding where you're at and what keeps you driving forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, as, as you kind of maybe have a moment to reflect and, and Jack or John, you can answer this question, but I always ask all of my guests to answer this question. And it's really the end of a statement. And that statement is I water ski because. Because <laughs> <laughs> of him, so. yeah, you can start that one down if you want. No, I think uh, a lot of times you have to reflect on why you did start, and it was all because it was fun. And 
too many times I see these these athletes getting frustrated and throwing their skis around and using foul language and whatnot. And they, they've just lost track of why they get involved in the sport. It's fun. It's got to be fun. You know, there's, there's got to be rewards and there's got to be pitfalls. And one of the reasons I've been able to stay in this so long is because I've got a backbone of my wife that handles all the all the minuscule problems that arise in the ski so she's she's been incredibly uh diligent with putting this this worlds together i mean people don't realize what what's involved with uh you know getting everything set up she's talking daily with paul fong with iwwf and it seems like every time we get things together there's something added to a grocery list so um if i didn't have her behind us we wouldn't be at where we are today absolutely no and it's all about family. You know, our sport is probably the biggest, in my opinion, it's the biggest family sport in the world. Without family, there's not many people that, in my generation, in your generation, Tyler, that go, oh, I started skiing because my buddy had a boat. No, it was like your parents <laughs> skied or your parents right. had a boat. You know, it's about right. family. And it might be changing a little bit now, but it's still it's 100% family. Like, I can't name a person that has skied because they their friend had a boat or something. It's, oh, mom and dad had a boat and they had a ski and I started skiing on it. And then someone across the lake saw me skiing and said, hey, come ski, try this course over here, you know, something. And it all goes back to mom and dad kind of thing or grandparents. And for me, it's, I was born, I walked, as soon as I could walk, there was a boat in my backyard. So I was born into it, thank God. I love it. I wouldn't want anything different. That's awesome. That's awesome. Jack, I've never been able to ask you this question, but I see, I do see posts pop up from time to time when it's football season. It looks like you're a Patriots fan and a Bill Belichick fan. I just wanted to know what the connection was there, if that was a particular thing that maybe Bill or the Patriots are as far as how they carry themselves as a team uh, or your perspective uh, on that particular team. Or you're just a fan. I just don't know. I, I just want to know. I grew up in New England. so Okay. Grow up in New England, you're always a Patriots fan. But also how Belichick runs his team is yeah. pretty cool. Very cool. I I I hope that the uh the Patriots bring back those old old uniforms and the old helmets. Yeah, I really yeah, like yeah. those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But well, guys, this has been a tremendous uh podcast, and I'm so excited that the world's is returning to the US and to your state uh to to back to back consecutive times and and I'm I'm hoping for all the best of course well I won't be there but I'll be tuning in like a lot of our listeners and and watching every moment even if we're at work we'll we'll have it up on a side screen as as we do our work but you know like you mentioned John in this podcast you're putting in courses of course the ski school I always like to give a handoff of how people could get in touch with you or where they can find you yeah social media or my email is the best just anything on social media is the easiest or my email is johntravers43 at gmail, but social media, a lot of people hit me up on social media. And yeah, just anytime you see me at a tournament or if I'm around, just hit me up and talk to me about it and we can figure it out because anything that you need to do doing on a lake, I can do with docks, the jumps, the courses. I dug, my dad started our Lake 3 project back in the early 90s, I would say, right? Mid-90s? Mid-90s, yeah. And we finished it in 08, and my buddy and I, Doug, the finish, finished it for oh, him. Oh, wow. So 
It's always been a dream to dig a, a new lake, but I don't. I think three is enough for us. <laughs> three is good. Three. Yeah. Maintenance on three will do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we got three jumps floating right now. Three jump courses, three song courses. It's like I need to buy stock in a buoy company. And <laughs> <laughs> oh <laughs> but, man, it's awesome. We got a great team here, so it, it's everything's been fun. And but yeah, hit me up if you need anything done. I'd love to help you guys. Sounds good. Well, Jack and John, I can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast. We look forward to the world tournament as long. And and also, there's so many other uh, pro tours still yet to come. Like you said, you're headed out the door tomorrow to another one before the, the world tournament. So uh, good luck to you and all those. Yeah. And then on September 22nd through the 24th, we have the fifth Travers Grand Prix. People think I'm crazy for putting that on right before the world, but Last year, just the amp of that event and how that the boys performed, like Will and and Freddie Winter running one at 43 in the final for the first time ever to have a runoff in a 41 off or a runoff at 41 and having two people to run 43 in a final. I was like, I got to keep it going. Like, got to keep it going. Yeah, real quick, real quick. Tell us a little bit about that tournament. It's super unique. It's not your traditional tournament. Yeah, it's very unique. So I take, Roughly 20 to 25 pro men slammers, about 15 pro women slammers, and about 50 to 60 amateurs. And the amateurs can be, I have people that are skiing in class F, never skied a tournament in their life this year, and I have people that are ex-pros skiing in it. And they get put on teams of two to three amateurs per male and female men or pro on their team. So four to five a- athletes on a team, and they'll water ski, they'll shoot ski, and they'll go go-karting. And then we make we add up we make scores for all that and we put it into a team and your team will win and the amateurs win prizes and stuff like that. But then it also is the pro side of it is full pro tour money points all that. So and gotcha. that'll be filmed that'll be webcast by TWBC as well. Okay, sounds good. Well, we will definitely tune into that. I mean, there's so much action coming up here in the fall. So I'm super excited. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining the podcast. We'll be looking forward to it. And until next time, we're signing off. Thank you very much. Appreciate thank you. It. Thanks again for listening and come back for future episodes of the Hit It Podcast as we catch up with current stars and legends of the sport. Thanks again to our sponsor, Visit Central Florida. And don't forget to subscribe, review, and rate this podcast. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.